So I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, brother. Very, very kind. Ah, oh, it's good to be here together today. The Father's encouragement to me as I've been preparing this morning, just being in this space, being around, is his loving reminder to see what he loves, see his people. Not so much minister word or concept. Thanks, friend. Not so much minister word or concept, ideas. These are incredibly important. But to make space that the Lord himself is holding. There might be moments of encounter with his transforming love and power. And I think I'm just overwhelmed as I see the fruit of lives surrendered in love to a God who is making us into people of love that has agency, that has capacity, that can touch, feel, taste, experience the love of God through his people. And as I'm looking around the room and hearing about the fruit of Graham and Marie's legacy, which I have been touched and transformed by, my family has been touched and transformed by, just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with the love of God for us, the ministry of Jesus to us, and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, just loving us into wholehearted beings. This is incredible. So thanks for letting me just have a moment to get ooey-gooey. And I'm sure some of this is for the moms, too. So I, moms, too. Jesus and moms. Yeah. <laughs> well, as Adam said, I get the privilege to continue to lead us in this pathway we're calling the following Jesus pathway, which is really just what we, it's our best language right now for for the deepest longing of our heart, which is to follow, be formed by Jesus in everything and in every way. So we've been rehearsing in this time a Jesus, a following Jesus liturgy. I think we have it. I'd love to get it up. And as been our custom as we've been gathering together in 2023, we've been rehearsing these words. And again, they are more than words. We are actually rehearsing God's story and our story together. This is what we're doing, and we are trusting by faith that as we recite these words, we're rehearsing the wonder of the gospel. Somehow, the spirit of Jesus, the living Christ, is forming us a little bit more into his character and likeness. So, how about we stand together, and let's rehearse this together. I'll be the leader. Let's get that clear. <laughs> you can be the all. all right. Are those instructions clear? I've really been working on instructions and clarity. If you've not done this before, don't worry. We've got all the words available to you. So let's just recite the gospel together. Let's rehearse God's love to us together. Amen. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We believe this is true because of the gospel. What is the gospel? God, God always.
always loved us and gave us his son, Jesus. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died for sin. God raised and seated him as Lord. He is coming again to restore all things. When we believe the gospel, we receive the gift. What is the gift? We are forgiven, freed, filled with the Holy Spirit, found in the Father, formed in the family forever. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is following being formed by Jesus in all of life. Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is baptism? Baptism means we have died with Christ to our old life and been raised to new life and new identity. What is our new identity? We are beloved sons and daughters of God. Who are we together? We are the church of prayer Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I commanded. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What else has Jesus commanded? Repent, believe, be baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. Hear and obey the word. Pray, persevere. Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are with us always to the end of the age. Amen. 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 Yeah, you could celebrate that. In all of life, that is the truest thing about us. That is the truest thing about God's story, our story in God, and the truest thing about the world that's waiting to hear this story. We like to do this because it reminds us that we're on a journey, family. We are on a journey of becoming more like Jesus in every way through the gift of the gospel to us and in us and through us. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has brought about in us through the Father's love, by his very spirit, we're growing and becoming just like the Son in the way we think and the way we feel and the way we choose to live well in the Father's world. We've been spending 2023 so far rehearsing this gospel together in our gatherings and in our homes. We've been discovering afresh and have been hopefully being strengthened in our inner being around who God is and what he has done in Jesus, what that means for us in light of what Jesus has done, and how shall we live in response to all of that? Yes. <laughs> we are now going to go a little deeper. We're going to go a little deeper in what it looks like to live out of this identity. We're going to be going deeper as God's family 
in the commands of Jesus. We've just rehearsed in Matthew 28, Jesus said, in light of your new identity, I want you to go forth. And as you have been treated generously, as Eugene Peterson would put in his translation, live generously. And Jesus said it this way, teach others to obey all that I have commanded. We're coming to Jesus to hear his word and respond. Jesus doesn't give us commands simply because he really likes order. In John 15, he told us that by receiving his commands and responding to them in obedience, we actually remain, we actually stay inside of his love. We stay connected to him as our source of life. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in him. That's John 15, 10. In other words, Jesus is saying, by obeying these commands, we are being held in him and his love and are being formed, conformed into his image more and more. See, our obedience is working on our behalf to bring about our maturity. And our maturity in Christ is reflected in the quality of our love back to the Father, left to ourselves in right relationship and to all the world around us. And from that, God is releasing the gift of himself to anyone that might come near. This is the work of the gospel to and in and through you. Obedience is essential. It's an essential part to becoming people of love and living a life of love. Obedience to Jesus' commands work on behalf of our formation. Not order. Though God is about ordering his world. He was very good about that in Genesis 1. You can read about that. We won't do it today. But obedience is essential to living a life of love and being formed into a people of love. So that's where, where we're going to start. That's where we're turning our attention to the commands of Jesus. And we're going to just look a little bit deeper at what he has for us. Sound good? We're going to begin where Jesus began, to repent and believe. Now, I understand that when you hear some of these words, some of us in this room may be having some sort of response or emotion. Something about these words um, have not always left a beautiful taste in your mouth. I get it. When you hear words like command, obedience, repent, images, experiences, or stories make it stirred up in you. I just want to pause and acknowledge and, 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 and make space for that. That's okay. Be aware of where you are in your process of formation with Jesus. Okay? We all have a history. But I do want to encourage you that no matter how you have encountered some of these uh, realities, the commands to repent and believe, and through whom you've received these sorts of teachings, experiences, and history. Jesus, when he uses them, is loving and leading and forming us. Yes. Is that okay? So with the Holy Spirit's help, we just want to prepare our hearts to receive God's love through the Son, to hear what he has to say to us today about his love and formation and how we live in the world. Seem good? I think so. I want to read some scripture to you. This is in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Our focus today will be on verse 15. But I want to just let the word begin to work on us while we hear some things. 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, we all have a story, right? Growing up, I just want to tell you one of my dreams. This was probably the dream that motivated me and everything for quite a while. This uh, is the best articulation I have of what I was dreaming about from, I don't know, maybe 14 until, I don't know, some, some time I was dreaming. Of, until Jesus, there we go. We can hang, until Jesus, this was my dream, and it was this. Apartment living, marry an incredible woman, have a basset hound named Chuck, <laughs> go to brunch on Sundays. I wanted to tour in the spring, I wanted to make records in the winter, and I just wanted to hang out and be generally groovy. That was like the best imagination I had for my life. And I went after it. Like I went for it from the time I was 14 until the time well, Jesus, like I said, and I, I reordered my days, my time, my energies, my activities, my imagination, the clothes I wore. I mean, I, I did the whole deal. The day I moved out of my parents' house, the, the, the first time I moved out of my parents' house. <laughs> I went and I got a box of that good hair dye and I went jet black on my hair and I did the black fingernails and I got my very first tattoo all in the same day and I passed out in that tattoo chair. <laughs> it's true. I, 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 I passed out in that. It was one of those pass outs like you're not aware that you passed out, but someone had to tell you, mate, you, all right. You wake up later to two thin lines and three stars and a $130 bill, and you're like, man, growing up is cool. You know, just, that was my dream, and I was living it, and I gave all of myself to it, and I reoriented everything about my being towards this dream, for better or for worse, and it had Curious consequences. <laughs> What's my point? My point is we all have this. And all of us, I mean human beings. Each and every one of us have dreams and desires and plans and purposes for our life. We have an imagination of what is the best for us and who the best us is happening in this world. And most of us believe that our ideas, like I did, were really fantastic designs. And I thought I had a pretty good idea on how to get there. I think you all know by now, day one, I was on the fast track to something. <laughs> We've got an idea about life and human flourishing. We also have a whole story or a narrative on why we have these particular ideas. We got to our ideas somehow. And we all have a whole culture telling us what and how and when and where and who is going to get us to the life that we have dreamed. Can anyone relate? Anyone else have the same dye your hair, tattoo, pass out in the chair story? It doesn't have to be that exactly, but be honest. It's got some of the texture. You've got some of the texture in your story. You can message me later and we can, you know, pray through that. It's fine. But friends, we're not alone with this. God has designs and dreams and passions and purposes for life and flourishing. 
He also has a whole story and a narrative on why he has these particular ideas for life and flourishing. And there's a whole culture at work in this, telling people what and how and when and where and who will bring about this life that God has dreamed of. So we have a reality and we have a problem though. What's the problem with this? The problem is the space between. The space between our greatest imaginations for life and flourishing and God's imagination for life and flourishing. This didn't start with 19-year-old Adam. This started long before any of us began being thoughts in anybody's imagination. So a quick recap of how we got here. In the beginning, God made us for loving union, to be oriented and be relating with him rightly. Not just him, but relating rightly with ourselves and with one another and the world he made. And then rebellion in the garden. Genesis 3 and poof. (laughs) Disruption to intimacy and a disorientation to everything. Rebellion manifest into a nature and longing and life of sin, the damage to intimacy with God, ourselves and others, and a complete disorientation to everything. Part of our story is to understand that there are places of us that are completely disoriented in this world. Does anyone else have those moments? Just admit it to yourself in the Lord. Sometimes in my weeks and days, no matter how close I'm walking with the Lord, my form, there are still parts of me in which I feel utterly disoriented. Disconnected from intimacy and disoriented from everything that's working on my behalf for good. Since then, many things other than God have been forming us and informing the way we live. Namely sin, but also our stories. We orient ourselves to our stories often. And by this, I just simply mean, I'm not making a judgment, so you don't need to judge too quickly. I'm just acknowledging we we have stories in which we orient ourselves in. By that, I mean our lives lived out of our own imaginations, our experiences, and our agencies, the way we happen to the world around us. And the more this has played out through history, the more and more space there has been between our ideas for life and God's ideas for life. And more damage humans have caused to themselves, others, and the world around us. What good news I am bringing on Mother's Day. You feel encouraged yet? I got to get out of my story. I, well... Jeffy. <laughs> oh man, I love that. The Father in his kindness, in light of the problem, has always given us a solution. He's always brought a solution to the disconnection and disorientation that we all feel as fruit of the rebellion in the garden. He's just that good. Jesus comes to us in Mark 1. Jesus is God's plan to reorient everything back to himself. And he's now unfolding this plan forever. This is good news. We have a way to get back to the garden, if you will, if you like that language. To get back 
not so much to a place, but a posture and an experience of intimacy and orientation. And ultimately, what God is doing is he's realigning us to himself and re-engaging our story in God's story. And this is where we find ourselves in Mark 1, verses 15. Again, Jesus, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're going to talk into this scripture for the rest of the time. And then we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Father's love and kindness today. But we trust you, Lord, as we continue to move through these scriptures. We choose in this moment to believe your love and your best for us. We pray you would unfold the scriptures to us. Give us a revelation of yourself that we might respond to your love in every way. Amen. So I want to suggest this to you, that solution, being Jesus himself, to the problem begins with an invitation. Jesus himself shows up in Mark 1.15, and he gives an invitation. I'm saying that the first command that we experience from Jesus in Mark's gospel is actually an invitation. Can we pause? And is that good news to anyone? Does anyone need to be reoriented to even just that word and that reality of command where it's been misused and you've been perhaps abused by it in some way? And you need to first be oriented to that word because for us to respond to Jesus in obedience, we can't be put off by the way he does it. So we have to maybe look again at the scriptures and say, actually, the command is an invitation. Jesus' first command is actually to come near, to repent and believe the good news. So what's the invitation? An invitation to what? Repent, to repentance. You guys, I'm not going to share anything new in this part, but just listen with your spirit ears and let's see what comes out. This is a Greek word, metanoeo, or we're more familiar with the metanoia used in the Greek is one we're more familiar with. And it means, yes, a change of mind about something. There's a change of our mind, a change of a mind or attitude. Oftentimes in our context and experience of the church, we're we're receiving a change of mind about sin or a way of being, a pattern or something like that. We're aware of the damage it might be doing to us and others. We no longer want to do that anymore. And so we're seeking to change our mind because innately we know that a change of mind then begins to shape the way we live. The Jewish word for repentance is teshuva. Oftentimes you'll see it in the scripture as just, I mean, it looks like shub, but it's shuv. And this word I think is actually really robust. And it means a return, specifically a return back to God with your whole life and your whole being. It moves just, not just in the mind, but it begins to impact our whole being, our heart. This was a culture that lived from the center of its being out. And the core would disseminate through your whole being and begin to shape the way you lived and the way you happened to the world around you. This was the Jewish idea of repentance. Some thoughts or implications around repentance is that it's a journey. Remember, we're on a journey with Jesus while he makes us. 
and his commands or his kindness along the way to become more and more like him in every way. The idea that one journey has ended and another began. And in Jewish thought, which is what Jesus would have been implying and who he was speaking to in Mark 1, he was speaking into a culture and a context. The purpose of repentance is to go through a transformation. Remember I said, the gift of God and his commands is working on our behalf for our formation, to bring about maturity in us that demonstrates itself in love for others. This word is used in places like the Old Testament, Joel 2.12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. So Jesus is saying what? He's saying, the time has come, the wait is over. The kingdom of God has done this. And the invitation or the command is to respond and move towards God who is first moving towards you. This is what Jesus says when he first comes onto the scene. This is how he frames repentance. He comes and he gives a command, which is actually an invitation that does mean more than just apologizing, which is often what we might have experienced, which is apologizing and detaching from your sin, which is not wrong. Hear me, that's not wrong. It's a part of the process of repentance, but the part is not the whole, as our friend Craig Westoff is helping some of us understand. It is a part of the process. In fact, John the Baptist's ministry, right before Jesus, was what? It was a call to repentance. It was to turn away from sin, to purify yourselves, or detach from your current lifestyle. And this was as an act of preparation for the coming kingdom, a kingdom that was not yet here. So he's saying, repent, examine your lifestyle, pay attention if you like to the, what you have oriented yourself in. And our orientation always has an activity. So what we've oriented around produces an activity in our life. Stop what you're doing, reorient your whole self to God Clean up your mess along the way, but prepare because God is coming near. So a, a repentance in a sense of apologizing, acknowledging we're living out of our best imagination for life has caused damage is good. Is that clear? It's just not the whole part. So Jesus is saying, detach from that and come near and reorient your whole self in God to turn away from sin in our story and return to God in his kingdom and experience life from his perspective and his lifestyle. This is a much richer invitation and understanding of, of repentance. And I think, at least for me, I don't know about you, but I have come to understand repentance or the activity of it. So Jesus comes to his people with an invitation. Now I believe when Jesus came and he gave this, that he knew full well that the invitation, if received and acted upon, again, the command came as an invitation to respond to Jesus. He understood that giving this invitation and the nature of the invitation would actually lead to a significant confrontation. 
the confrontation was for Israel, and I think for us often as well, is to evaluate our lives in light of God's life coming near and decide to believe which is better for life and flourishing. This is the work of repentance. <laughs> now, the word belief that Jesus used here is pistule. You have the internet. You can look at it. I didn't spend as much time like clicking the button and hearing that translation. Greek scholars in the room would probably say, well, that was sad, but that's okay. <laughs> but the word means to believe. To think of something to be true, to put confidence in, and then to entrust a thing or entrust yourself to a thing, something like fidelity or faithfulness, to entrust what? Our whole selves. So we're to turn from our ways, our imaginations, our ideas of what is life and flourishing, turn back to God reorient ourselves and everything to God. And as we do so, every step along the way, I just see our mind being changed and giving confidence to each step as we move closer and closer to God. And that's demonstrated by us moving closer and closer to God. And then it's manifested in the way we live our lives in this world. This is Jesus' invitation. This is his command. This is what he invited us to teach others to do. Yes. To hear, receive, and respond to the living Christ and allow ourselves to be formed by him. Belief expresses itself in the way we live our life. Repentance works on our behalf to change our whole being and then shape the way we live. John Tyson's a teacher and pastor in New York City, and I just love what he said about this. He said in his book uh, around compromise and conviction, a leadership book, he says, the way we live reveals what we truly believe. Everything else is just talk. The way we live reveals what we truly believe. Everything else is just talk. So why was this a confrontation? Just a quick context for the scripture, because I think it's important and really, really fun. Jesus, again, was speaking to his people. He's speaking to the nation of Israel who had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a kingdom of their own. I think it's important to note that they weren't waiting for the garden. They were waiting for a kingdom. So Jesus has come to reorient us to himself with his intentions and purpose in Genesis 1. But Israel was waiting for a kingdom not a garden. And one in the image of David or Solomon at best, what they had experienced in their history, and at worst, they were waiting for a kingdom that had just enough power to overthrow the current kingdom that was oppressing them. In this moment, it was Rome, but they'd experienced uh, oppression from you know, Persia, Babylon, Syria, all these different nations that have come and, and, and brought the weight of their nation down. So they're saying, we want a kingdom of our own. In 1 Samuel 8, Old Testament, they come to the prophet and they say, we want a kingdom of our own. 
We want to be like the other nations. We've looked around. God, you have been with us and you've been present to us. But we've looked around and we've started to really like these nations' ideas for life and human flourishing. They feel empowered. They feel strong. They've got some things going on. And we actually think we want that. Though they had God himself present to them, ministering to them, providing for them in every way. It's been like this since the fall. They still began to look around the world and say, yeah, but you know what? We really like what they're doing, and we think we would like that. Samuel is undone by this, grieved. I think the scriptures say that he wept all night long. He was so upset. And you know what God said? Let them have it. Give them what they want. Let them have. Let them experience. Let them taste the reality and the fruit of lives oriented to their best imagination of flourishing. This is who Jesus is talking to. So when they hear something like the wait is over, the kingdom of God has come near you, they have an idea of what this is going to look like. They have been preparing themselves, can I suggest, not for God's coming close, but for a kingdom to come near. They've been preparing themselves for a lesser reality. So when they hear that the kingdom of God has come near, they've already got images and imaginations in their head. They're thinking, happy days are here again. The longing is fulfilled. A kingdom comes with its resources and power, its protection, its army, the validation of us being Jewish. The kingdom has come to remove the current administration and establish itself. The kingdom of God could be touched and tasted and seen and heard and experienced, but that experience actually looked like something other than God himself. And Jesus' entire ministry after this would be unfolding the space between his people's best imagination for life and flourishing and God's best imagination for life and flourishing revealed in Jesus. This is the confrontation that their moment of repentance brought them to. And it's often the place of confrontation we find ourselves in because like Israel or any other nation or person outside of God, as I've already said, we have an imagination when God says, I want blessing for you, when he says, Jeremiah 29, 11, maybe everyone in this room has a different picture of what that looks like. And in some ways, it looks very much like Jesus the Christ. And in some ways, it very much looks like Adam's black hair, painted nails, and tattoo. Where does that leave us, friends? As I said, Jesus was so kind in his coming, so kind and gentle in his teaching, in his reflection. And as I said, he spent his entire ministry slowly and tenderly and presently hearing from people, listening, even those that wanted him dead, he still went to dinner with and sat and listened to their imagination for life and flourishing. 
And in love, he asks questions and he gives pictures and he says, hmm, I wonder. And he gives a master class, if you will, on repent and believe in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 and 6, he gives a master class. This phrase was his thesis as Jesus sits down thousands. He says, I want to walk you through my command and my invitation. I'm going to love and shepherd you through confrontation. And he does it with this phrase. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And I believe he is still giving that invitation. <laughs> he is still saying, Son, daughter, I know what you thought. Let me help you think. Because he loves us and he's forming us. He's caring for us and he's shepherding us. Wow. So what is repentance and belief? Why is this the first command Jesus gives us in ministry? Let me just give you this, if you're taking notes. I, this is what I think. Repentance and belief is a complete return to God. It is a reorientation to him and his ways and a re-entrustment of ourselves to God and his transformative love and power. Amen. Repentance and belief is a journey. It's not a one-time action. It's, it's a journey of allowing our minds and our hearts and our lives, our ways of living to be shaped by God himself, by the person of the Holy Spirit in us, with us, for us. It means so much more than just an apology for bad behavior and hopefully self-purifying practice of conscious detachment. It's a complete giving over, a complete giving over of all of our best ideas about God, about ourselves, about others, and about this beautiful and wonderful world he has made. Does that help anyone around these words that we've heard so often? They've become so familiar. And we, we believe we have a right understanding of Jesus' commands for us. And we're seeking to do them well. My hope is that the Lord himself is going to open up a space for encounter with him. Repentance is more than just a dissociation with our sin. It is an intimate encounter with God. So what's next? What do we do? A couple things. Respond to the invitation. The good news is we actually have the ability to do that. You have the ability to respond to God's invitation. The Spirit of God working on your behalf that stirs you to move close to the God that moved close to you. We literally have the potential and power to turn ourselves back towards God and begin to move a little bit more in His direction. Moving closer to Him. Letting go of along the way. As a demonstration of belief, little ideas, again, about what? God, ourselves, others around us, and the world that he loves. So the first thing we can do is respond to the invitation. Respond to the invitation. In doing so, you will be obeying Jesus' command. 
And I also want to invite you to embrace the confrontation. Repentance is an invitation and it's a confrontation. It is a gift. (laughs) But this gift will grind you. (laughs) And it will grow you. It will expose anything in you, spirit, soul, and body, that is keeping you from God and his passion and purpose and designs for your life. Unlike all of Jesus' commands, as I've already said, repentance will work on your behalf. (laughs) It's for you because it's forming us more and more into the character and likeness of Jesus Christ our Lord, which is really actually truly the longing of every human heart. Whether we know it or not. And as I say, it's not a one-time process. Our lives will be filled with moment after moment, opportunity after opportunity, person after person that God will use to love us well, to change our mind, our hearts, and lives. And all of this in response to a revelation of Jesus and his kingdom. You see, in Mark 1.15, Jesus gave a context for our repentance and our belief. It is not just good Christian activity that we now do in light of the cross. Our repentance and our belief is in response to a revelation of Jesus. So lastly, I would say, remember the place of repentance. The kingdom of God has come near you. Repent and believe the good news. All through the scriptures, friends, We see people responding to God, but this was after an encounter with God. We see in Luke's gospel, there's an incredible miracle of the hall of fish. Jesus on the boat in a hall of fish. Peter drops to his knees in a moment of repentance and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I have seen you and I see who I am not in light of you. And Jesus says, yeah. Comes near. (laughs) The response of Jesus to our repentance is coming close in its intimacy. This is what happened when Peter again, our good friend, speaks in Acts 2 and he unfolds this incredible God story narrative. He speaks into Israel's story and then he sets it back in God's story and he says, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story. And they're going, Whoa, what do we do? And what does he say in Acts 2 38? Repent and be baptized. Wow. Repentance is always in response to a revelation of God. Always. So, my friends, we're going to practice together. We're going to take some moments here. Cutter, my friend, would you... Common. We're going to take some moments. I think we're doing well on time. There's a gift that we have that the Lord has given us through his church through the ages. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's called the examine. 
Man named Ignatius gave us this gift in our spiritual formation. If that's new to you, I'll just give you the basic, 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 oversimplified idea of this. The practice of examine, typically in the evening time, when your day is ended, is setting down in a quiet place before the Lord, inviting the Lord to come near, on allowing the Spirit of God to reflect over your day with you. And sometimes, Lord, where, I'm sitting here, Lord, where have you been present to me today? And I've missed you. Where have you been loving me through your presence, your correction, your discipline, and I may have missed you? How do you want to speak to me and love me into a more whole being? This is the simple movement of examine. It is actually, if you will, a practice of daily repentance. Coming back to the Lord, reorienting yourself before the King, the lover of your soul, and saying, what do you see? Where's the space between you and I? Because my deepest longing is intimacy and orientation to you. Now, David wrote about this in Psalm 139, centuries before Jesus came. And he ends his Psalm 139 with this. I have to read it because I usually muck it up. And I don't want to do that. We're having a really good time together. I think. Okay. I wasn't fishing, but I was fishing. He says this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, I want to, I think the Lord wants to gift this prayer to you gift this psalm to you, to take with you as you continue to be present, to orient yourself in God, demonstrate your belief in who he is and what he's done, and giving him access to your whole being at the end of every day. However you want to walk this through, there's tons of resources on how to walk through and examine, and we're going to be giving some in the next week or so, I believe. But on a very simple thing, I'm inviting you to take this psalm Walk with it daily and just watch what happens to you and in you and through you. You don't have to wait because we're going to practice right now. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close with this. We're going to make some space. And what I want to do is pray those scriptures over you. And as we've seen demonstrated, our ideas have an activity. They have a movement. They have a mobility. And in the movement and the doing, by faith, we know we are being formed more and more like Jesus. It's not just a mental activity as we've talked about today. It implies movement towards God. So as you practice this in faith, I'm going to pray over us in this cutter place. If you are aware by God's kindness as we're praying, You're receiving the psalm to you now. And God begins to address where there's some space between him and you. I want to invite you to move your physical body. No one's going to meet you to pray for you. This is for you and the Lord to get closer still. He's not going to do everything, but I'm convinced he's going to do something. So let's just settle ourselves 
We choose now, Lord, as a body to turn and face you. We acknowledge you moved first. You have come near. You have given us an invitation. You've commanded us because of love to come near to you, to remain in your love. We acknowledge, Lord, there's still spaces in us that still want our way. We confess we just don't know all of your ways. So we are choosing to believe you are the best for us. Your ways are the best for us. You will walk with us as we walk in your best for us. Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to your children on how you want to form them more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I entrust you now, family, to the care of the Father to move close as he calls you. In Jesus' name, amen.